Welcome to the Eat Well, Age Well podcast. Eat Well, Age Well is a project from Scottish charity Foodtune and our podcast is all about sharing and discussing how we can support older people in Scotland to eat well, age well and live well. I'm Danielle Gray, I'm your host and on this episode I'll be chatting to Dr Kate Reid and Professor Catherine Weedle from the University of Glasgow who undertook a research study with Food Train and Eat Well Age Well to explore the prevalence of malnutrition in older people living in Scotland. Since 2013, Food Train has been at the forefront of meetings and events around malnutrition. Their core service is grocery shopping and delivery for those aged 65 and over Therefore, Food Train know firsthand the barriers older people can face in order to eat well at home. So to learn more and gather evidence on eating well in later life was a really exciting opportunity. Food Train and Eat Well Age Well partnered with the University of Glasgow in 2018 and Kate and Catherine joined me to discuss their research and what they discovered. Welcome Kate and Catherine, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with us today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, Can you just start by telling us a little bit more about yourselves and the work that you do at the University of Glasgow? Thanks Danielle, Um, this is Kate Reid here. I am a lecturer, senior lecturer and health psychologist based, as you say, at the University of Glasgow. I am based in the School of Education and also hold a a teaching post within the School of Psychology. I research, as many of my colleagues do, across lots of different exciting areas, but I suppose most of my work is is kind of framed from issues of um, health behaviour, health and wellbeing, social justice issues underpin a lot of what I'm interested in. I'm interested in creative methodologies so we can better empower people who want to be involved in research to tell their stories and obviously I have a a teaching commitment to the university so I teach um, clinical health psychology and I teach qualitative methods to mostly to master students and level four students. So hi I'm uh, Catherine Lido and I uh, work very closely with um, Kate who's the who's the lead investigator on this project. I'm a social psychologist, so I'm very interested. My background is stereotyping and prejudice research. I'm interested in all kinds of stereotypes, gender stereotypes, aging stereotypes, and I'm interested in how these lead to inequalities in life, in learning, in education, and in this instance, in mental and physical health. So um, it's, yes, it's been a pleasure working on this project because I also like to work with different types of data, uh, survey data, interview data, but I'm just interested in all kinds of ways that we can try and tackle inequalities in society. Great, and can you tell us a little bit more about how you got involved with Food Train and Eat Well, Age Well, and how this research study all kind of came together? Um, we we first heard about um, Michelle Carruthers, who obviously is the CEO at Food Train, um, through an initial approach that she had made to our university. She was, as we know, very keen to uh, understand what she could see within our own organisation in terms of um, food insecurity issues and issues of 
well-being um, around those food insecurity issues for the older people that her and our organisation support. And so Michelle was really instrumental in, in wanting to make these observations far more um, evidence-based and really get some good data that would help the organisation to better lobby and demand better provision and more security for older people, particularly older people that they serve that um, live at home and and live at home and, and within an ageing in place kind of framework that, that we've become aware of. So Michelle approached us probably about two years ago, actually, and we had a number of communications and conversations with her and just first of all, just really got to know and understand and really like Michelle and understand um, that she came from a place of real caring for the people that she supports, including the volunteers that, that are really instrumental to Food Train. And so then, of course, we were able to work more closely with Michelle through the Age Well, Eat Well project um, and be, have a more formal uh, research opportunity to, to kind of actually set up some research with them. Um, that what could which is what we're here today to discuss that lasted over around about twelve months with Michelle. Yes, and just to add that uh, the funding uh, was enabled by the Eat Well Age Well project. So it, it's through Eat Well Age Well that we were able to formalize our uh, partnership project with Food Train, um, looking at these varied um, psychological and health related um, outcomes. And and so what did the what did the research involve then? What what did you do? What were you kind of setting out to do? I mean, as I say, Michelle was very keen to evidence what she could already recognise within the community and the population that she was working with. So essentially, in some ways, Michelle and the wider team who we started to meet with quite regularly in the sort of pre-planning uh, meetings that we had already came with a form of understanding that as psychologists and researchers in the field we could readily translate into a more kind of theoretically driven approach to delivering the research. So it was highly collaborative. It was always going to have to be hugely collaborative between the great knowledge that Michelle and the wider team brought matched with our expertise in um, gathering data, uh, research design, the use of different types of standardised measures. And so that was that synergy really that was that was the basis of why I, I think that we've worked so well as a team together. Yeah, so just to jump in there, um, as, a, as a social psychologist, um, I was trained primarily in sort of quantitative uh, survey approaches and and Kate more qualitative so I think each of us brought kind of a different perspective even within our team and I think um, food train and eat well age well we're really looking at how can we get a more holistic picture using all different types of approaches um, trying to you know hear people talk about their experiences in their own words um, but also trying to use a larger scale survey to look at people who are living in their homes in the community um, more more broadly, uh, trying to reach out and find out how people are feeling, what they're eating, how they're eating, 
um, in their homes. So it's it's hopefully coming at the issue from lots of different angles to get a more complete picture. So your research that that involved, um, as you say, doing surveys and interviewing quite a, a substantial amount of older people. What were some of the things that came out of that and, and what you found? Um, the, the, the actual survey that, that we conducted was with 169 older adults, some of whom were known to food train and receipt of food train services such as meal delivery and shopping deliveries. But also we wanted to look at older people who were continuing to be completely independent and um, maybe use other mechanisms to get shopping into the house, such as through friends and, and family or just independently themselves. I suppose it's also important to say that we were really keen to make sure that the research that we did was really appropriate to the population, that it was sensitive and ethical, because when you're researching older people, obviously it's not one kind of person we had met older people who were very well, who were very independent, who were very empowered. Um, but we also met older people who were very vulnerable in poor health at home, highly marginalised and facing great inequality. So obviously, the way that you do research with those with that population, you need to be very sensitive to making sure that everyone is able to take part that wants to. And that you're not in your in your own way setting up inequality by requiring people only in good health to take part in your research. So I suppose just before we talk about the research, it is important to say that we did utilise, we, we gave out our measures and our survey to a wide range of people, also people who support older people, health professionals themselves. So they could offer some idea of whether there was a appropriateness to the types of questions that we were asking for instance just simple things like would they be understood were they in plain language so part of that involved even taking um, examples of our research to the eat well age well stakeholders group which is formed of a large number of different kinds of organisations and agencies and health professionals, as well as the volunteers that go into older people's homes, just to look through the kinds of questions that we would be asking and taking them also to the older people in a pilot, just to find out again how um, people reacted to the questions, how long the survey took, whether that was possible. Because if you have a survey and it takes two hours to fill out then clearly it's not appropriate so we wanted and I think it's important to foreground the research with that need and desire that we had to make it inclusive and accessible so we could reach as many people as possible. Um, so in terms of the survey we found that uh, there was a relatively normal distribution of their body mass index so we didn't you know there was a quite a normal population in terms of body weight and also quite low levels of food insecurity um, generally overall. But where we started to find uh, some risk was in terms of the malnutrition risk questions from the PANC for the Patient Association Nutrition Checklist, um, where we did start to see that there, there was quite a high percentage in our sample um, who were ticking yes to at least one of the four indicators in terms of, for instance, unintentional weight loss or family concern around weight loss. 
Um, and it was these indicators that were associated with greater loneliness, poor well-being, and um, less social support, social connection uh, questions, such as having the number of people you've seen in the last week or having someone to turn to in a crisis. So we started to see a picture whereby, um, although we didn't have you know, quite high levels of, of being actually underweight, we found a picture of being at risk of malnutrition in terms of these indicators was really quite bad for psychosocial indicators of well-being. And so we started to get a story going on here that it's your physical health, your mental health are all quite tied together. Um, and that where food train comes in, where, where food services like food train come in is in terms of trying to break that cycle with increased empowerment. So we found that people in receipt of food train services um, claims that the, these services help them feel more empowered over their life. And locus of control is uh, something that we talk about in our research. Locus of control is feeling empowered over things in your life, um, feeling like they're under your control and not due to luck and chance and circumstance. And so this very uh, important indicator is something that um, services like Food Train can, can use to really break the cycle of malnutrition risk and poor psychosocial well-being yeah and i suppose that makes complete sense as well it's the most the more support that maybe an older person has uh, the less likely they are going to be at these risks especially when it comes down to things like uh, loneliness and social isolation which was seen as such a huge risk factor for malnutrition did that kind of come through as well in your in your research yeah, part of our research involved us getting to spend a bit more time with a smaller uh, sample where we were able to do interviews with the older person, which allowed us to go into a bit more detail um, in terms of those types of issues. Um, we were interested in not just asking about loneliness, but looking around more of the social connections or lack of that the older person utilises um, in order to age well and eat well in their own homes. And so we found some really nice interview data and recollections um, about how older people um, negotiate change in their life that's inevitable often as you grow older. Change can mean the loss of a husband or a wife and that lack and breaking of that social connection is clearly very difficult for older people, but it can also impact on very fundamental things such as food preparation um, and not making possibly the same kinds of food or the, through the same meal preparation practices that you would have done if you were still cooking for someone else or receiving hot food from someone else that was living in your home with you. So it was quite interesting and I suppose it gets under the skin a little of what is it to be food insecure as an older person? Is it about the lack of means as in financial means which we would think about in terms of food poverty or is there more to food insecurity than a lack of money and finances for older people. And in some ways, what we've been able to find through the qualitative work we've been doing 
is starting to think about food insecurity as more than just that lack of money in your purse. And while that does explain the experience for some older people who live in, in deprivation, it is not the whole story. So if you think about this lack and this breaking of social connections, that in itself can operate as a significant risk factor for food insecurity, where there may be food in the cupboard, but not the sense of well-being and motivation to cook it or to nourish yourself that you may have done when you lived more healthily or more connected at an earlier stage in your life. So for us, this is quite an exciting aspect is understanding what is a food insecure older adult and what aspects of it can we think about that may place that older person at risk because we're basically saying that it's not just the lack of finances. That's not quite enough to explain this. And what Kate is saying explains the relatively low levels of food insecurity we found on the survey because that measure was very much about um, not having enough money to have food in the house, you know, um, not, you know, not having enough groceries to last you through the week. Whereas I think for our sample, as Kate rightly said, that that was an issue for a small number in our sample. But for most of our older adults, um, they talked about, you know, maybe losing the pleasure and joy of eating, um, losing the friends in the scenario, the settings in which to enjoy eating. Um, and again, Kate talked a little bit about the changes to the high street and the local shops. So maybe not having the brands that, that you like or food that you enjoy. And so it does paint a rather more complex picture in this cycle. Um, and that, that really is just so much more than having groceries or being able to get food at a food bank. It's really um, much more about embedding it within the social context and that social aspect of eating together. Yeah, you're right. There's just so many different factors because um, malnutrition and eating well, there's so many complex factors that come into it. And I think that's one of the great things that this research highlights, that it is not just one thing. There's so many different factors. Um, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were undertaking uh, the research study? Oh, <laughs> well, it's, it's um, challenges. Yeah, I mean, we were ambitious. And um, we started off, and I suppose because we were really, we were really impressed by the work that Food Train does, and by the 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 sheer commitment and force of people like Michelle and others. Um, in a way, we wanted to. We were ambitious, and so, for instance, we had forty one individual site visits um, to a range across a range of of contexts where we could find older people in place. Some of those were within the older person's home. And so that would mean that because we worked um, in, a, in a way that ensured everybody's protection, we always had two field workers. So it could mean potentially that we would have maybe one survey done that would require two field workers that maybe travelled an hour to go to the older person's home. So there was a huge resource to get kind of you know fueled behind this research but we were also able to um, mobilize our researchers to, to attend lunch clubs 
um, for instance, at the Red Cross through their summer programme. The Serenians, um, we visited who do a lunch club, getting older people get a hot meal. Um, and we went also to Chinese, the Chinese Centre at Garnet Hill. So in a way, our ambitious, our ambitious, uh, our ambition took us to lots and lots of different places. But with it, with 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 that ambition came a kind of logistical issue um, in terms of time and resource to be able to gather the data that that we needed from the older person. And I suppose we were. We also trained our researchers in such a way that there was patience and there was time given to the older person. So, you know, often our researchers would, would stay and have a cup of tea <laughs> and enjoy some time with that older person because it could have been that the case that, that that would be the only person that, that that older person might see that day. We were acutely aware of that. So, um but we, we managed and we managed to get a reasonable size of cohort 169. Um, I don't know if Catherine, you can remember any other challenges. I, I was, yes, I was going to add, um, Kate's right, it, it's been a lovely project um, for our participants and for our, our research team, but it was very labor and time intensive. And the other thing to consider is that we probably haven't really reached some of the most uh, vulnerable um, because number one, the most vulnerable might not be at these lunch clubs or might not have been able to um, pick up the phone and answer our advert. But equally, people did have the right to opt out. It was very voluntary. Um, we didn't, you know, we wanted to research with older folk not on them so there were people who opted out who weren't um able to take part in the process and so it's it's still very hard to reach people who are the truly most vulnerable older adults and um, that might be even worse now with covid so i think that is sort of a weakness uh, of of our um of our work is that we are reaching people who are able to reach and engage with us. On the other hand, it's a strength because we we have this um, older adult sample, average age, nearly 80, um, who are so willing and able and empowered to talk to us about their experiences and willing, able and empowered to reach out to food train and to lunch clubs and to engage with the services around them. So we've learned a lot from um, from this work and from engaging with these older adults, uh, many of whom were just, you know, very uh, wonderfully engaged in lifelong learning and passionate about helping their communities. And so I think we learned a lot as well as as along this journey. Yeah, it sounds as though there was some really nice moments while doing the research as well. What were some of the more rewarding moments uh, that you found from this? Oh, we've had a super time. And uh, we we built in from the very outset places that we could, um, I think when we realised the sort of intensity of the one-on-one -on -one visiting people individually in their homes, we realised sort of midway through data collection that we maybe needed to accelerate some of the opportunities to meet older people in groups. And so we set up um, uh, an afternoon tea event for older people. Um, it coincided with Malnutrition Awareness Week and our uh, 
Collaborators for that were Creative Stirling, who provided their venue for older people to receive transport to come along and have some music and some dancing and some food and enjoy an afternoon tea. So we did a kind of, we made a kind of environment there where people were relaxed, people were enjoying it. There was no potential. We tried to take away as many of the barriers as possible that might limit people coming along by offering transport there and back and by feeding, you know, people. And so within that environment, we were able to to get a number of um, surveys done. And that also was just a lovely day. And we got some super feedback from older people. We took some small videos at that event as well. And yeah, that's got us a, a lasting memory for us all. And it was also a nice opportunity because a lot of us came together in the research team at that point. And because it can be quite... Um, not lonely, but you can, as a field researcher, going out on your own, you know, it can actually be quite nice to come together. So it was a really nice, stimulating, positive environment to do some um, some research in. I would agree, and I would extend that. Um, at some of these events, we had, um, we had country line dancing. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the group, um, but they were... Shigalele. No, and, and Shugalele. So the country line dancing group uh, is a, a, a bunch of, uh, of uh, older gals who meet together to do country line dancing. And um, and then, in it, yeah, in addition, we had a Shugalele, which is a ukulele band of, of older adults in and around the Sterling area. And they were just absolutely wonderful to engage with. So what we built into the process was very much researching with the community um, and, and gathering information, but then sharing it back with the community and saying, what do you think about this? Do you recognize yourself in this? And we just had them even, um, some of our participants, when we were feeding back our finding, we put on post-it notes how we felt about food, you know, and it, it was really interesting because clearly um, they were just so diverse and some people felt really positively um, about eating and food, and some people felt like it was a, it was a huge source of stress and anxiety for them. So I think yes, in this way we designed the research to be very much uh, immersive, immersed ourselves uh, in in the research. And some of our researchers were were actually food trained volunteers as well. Our PhD researcher Chrissy Huey, um, who volunteered with Food Train, um, but also is part of her PhD work. So we've been able to really um, feel a part of the community and feel like we can actually see how people might make use of our findings in the real world. And having attended those events myself as well can, you know, just totally reiterate what you said there about that it was these really lovely, warm, friendly environments um, to invite people along and celebratory as well. And I think that's what helped make things so engaging and people wanted to get involved and and give their feedback as well, which which was just so great to see. Um, so, you know, the research is, you know, the study is taking place. What, what are your hopes for it now? What, what are the hopes for the future and what it may influence? So our research concluded in February, just as we sat down to produce our report and publications, COVID-19 um, obviously hit uh, around March. And what we saw at that point through our 
not only our, our you know everyone's personal situation but our, our professional knowledge had built so much with food train and through our research that we really saw firsthand how COVID-19 and the measures through social distancing and shielding, how issues such as food security for those who are already facing inequalities became even more um, acute. And we we worked with Food Train during those first few weeks to try and mobilise more uh, volunteers for them because they had lost quite a lot of their older age volunteers um, to shielding and older age volunteers deciding it wasn't a good time um, to continue operating in the community. So we were really acutely aware of through our research and also through the, the learned knowledge that we had from Food Train how important their work was on the ground dealing with the acute crisis that older people were facing in terms of food access. And I suppose what this research tells us, even though it was pre-COVID, is that without food and the right to food being enshrined in law, there's always going to be a significant amount of people, whether they are children who are out of school during the summer, whether they are older people returning home from stays in hospital, whether they are older people who are just not quite managing to stay well at home through a lack of social networks. These are the people that are facing food insecurity and the right to food is something that we hope will move forward more quickly now to be enshrined in Scottish uh, legislation. It is shocking to think that it isn't. Uh, I, I still find this quite unbelievable to think that there is no law that protects our most vulnerable people from this most basic aspect of survival. But we we want more than just survival and more than just food that is delivered to older people. We need to think about how we care and how we support older people to live well and and within a, a, a stimulated environment that, where they feel well connected to others around their communities so they can enjoy and have dignity in how they access and um, prepare food. So these are the, the real real issues that, 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 that I think is a very good time for this research and for um, the Malnutrition Awareness Week to fall at this time as the Scottish Government considers this to be of concern and are looking to enshrine the access to food in, in Scottish law. And just to, to follow on from what Kate said, this um, timing of COVID allowed us to write um, a scoping a policy paper for Scottish Government. And we are looking forward to our parliamentary event where we can engage them uh, with the findings that, um, that it's so much more than just uh, food access and so we've got the right to food but we've we've got the right to enjoy uh, eating as well and so um, we can see that food train moved from their face-to-face -face befriending to phone befriending um, but they were able to continue the shopping deliveries and during COVID um, that was a vital social contact for the most vulnerable in society. So just to add, um, we can't rely on crisis funding and small pots of money. And 
also the 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 luck of the lottery postcode lottery whether you live in an area that has such um additional third sector support so it really does need to be integrated in the policy nationally so that everybody can benefit and not just during a time of crisis from joined up uh socially provided food access that supports people's physical health needs, but also their psychosocial well-being, um, because loneliness kills. And again, COVID has really highlighted how lonely some people are. And as the world has moved more online during COVID, it's even worse for older adults who don't have internet access or internet skills. They become doubly isolated. So we're hoping that at our parli parliamentary event, we can look at these sort of diverse solutions that um, befriending and meal making and uh, grocery deliveries and all of these, all of these together can have a more joined up approach to how we can help people age uh, happily and healthily in their homes longer, which ultimately will save uh, the NHS money and it will save uh, save Scotland and, and our national government money because people will be relying less on health services if they're able to meet their nutritional and social needs at home longer. Thank you, Kate and Catherine. That has been absolutely brilliant to have you on today and just to hear more about this amazing work that you've been doing in the research study. Um, as you said, I really, I think this will be kind of pivotal point, you know, especially with this year with COVID, that perhaps hopefully this will really help make a change and a difference for older people in Scotland and to have better infrastructure across the whole country to support older people to eat well, age well and live well. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks very much for listening. And thanks to my guests, Dr. Kate Reid and Professor Catherine Lidl. You can read more about the research study on our website, eatwellagewell.org.uk. And if you would like to hear more on Food Train, then please listen to episode two of our podcast, where I chat to Food Train CEO, Michelle Carruthers. If you'd like to contact Eatwell Agewell for more information, then please email hello at eatwellagewell.org.uk. Make sure to check out the other podcast episodes we have available, and thanks again for your support.